Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. Happy New Year, everybody. It is now January 2016, and I am excited to share with you my interview with Reverend Sarah Heath, the teaching, preaching, and site pastor at Shepherd of the Hills United Methodist Church in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. In addition to being a pastor, she's also a writer, a speaker, and an artist, which will play heavily into our conversation today. At the end of the program, I'll let you know how you can send in your feedback, and I would love to hear what you think about today's program or any of our previous episodes. I would love to make your voice a part of our conversation here on Art of the Sermon. So without further ado, here is my interview with Reverend Sarah Heath. Well, I am very excited to have on the podcast today Reverend Sarah Heath, who is the teaching and preaching site pastor at Shepherd of the Hills United Methodist Church in Rancho Santa Margarita, California. And this is the longest distance uh, podcast conversation we've had so far. I'm over on the East Coast. You're over on the West Coast. Certainly, Happy New Year's Day to all the listeners out there. Fake Happy New Year's Day to you, Sarah. I uh, <laughs> uh, told you before we hit the record button, this is the best way to appear on New Year's Day because you don't actually have to like wake up or, or you know put yourself together to get ready to go, but um, I am I am very excited to have you on the show today because our sort of general topic is the artist preacher, uh, and so before we dig into what that means, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context? Sure, absolutely. So I have been serving at my church. I'm moving into my fifth year. We're kind of a unique um, situation within uh, the United Methodist denomination, although a lot of churches outside of United Methodism have this sort of structure. We're um, dual site, which means that we have uh, one site in an area called Mission Viejo and another site in an area called Rancho Santa Margarita. And our site in Rancho is um, it's kind of a, a younger congregation as far as uh, existing, because Methodism's been around for a really long time. But that area right. uh, started to develop in the 80s, and so um, they planted a church, and it, and it grew, and it did quite well. And then in 2008, they built a building um, which was really an awful time to build a building yeah. in most of the country, but particularly in California. Yeah. And so they found themselves in some um, financial issue, but they were doing okay with numbers and um, just through various uh, conversations of what can we do to keep this community being vibrant and keeping a presence there. They decided the best thing to do would be to merge with a church that was um, eight miles away and sort of share um, administration fees and, and that sort of thing. So there are two uh, sites of one church. So we're Shepherd of the Hills at two sites. So that's kind of the context. Uh, my church is a very diverse community for California, uh, for that area particularly. Um, it's a pretty transient community, and that Rancho Santa Margarita is an area where a lot of folks uh, buy first-time homes and things like that. But there's also areas around that are a retirement community and um, our, our claim to fame is the Real Housewives of Orange County is filmed right there. So oh, very cool. if you can imagine, um, exactly, uh, we have a lot of different folks and we have folks that are, um, we also have a preschool, so we have a lot of young families. Um, and it's just, it's a pretty interesting demographic and neat place to be. There's also a lot of fairly conservative uh, churches that are rather large um, just down the street. I was uh, recently listening to uh, a podcast, and the guy said, can you imagine if your church was down the street uh, from a church like Saddleback? <laughs> and I said, yeah, because my church is down the street from Saddleback. Right. Um, and it's a great church and a great community that do great things, but we're, we're a different community of folks. And so that's our site. Uh, really averages about 120 um, folks. And then our other site uh, really averages about 300, um, 250 to 300. So 
again, we're kind of in the area of the country where people average going to church on 1.5 Sundays a month, which how that works, I don't know, but um, they stay for half the service. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So we have a lot of folks involved in the church, but they that doesn't necessarily show on our Sunday morning. It is uh, an area of the country where Sundays are no longer sacred space, and so soccer games, uh, kids who play uh, varsity sports are happening. So it's a really difficult uh, thing to do, traditional church on a Sunday morning. And so it kind of creates some different challenges. So that's kind of the area that I work in. And I do, so not only do I do uh, the teaching and preaching for that uh, site, I also uh, run our mission and outreach program. So it's our give portion, which uh, we travel kind of here, there, and everywhere. The idea is doing mission and outreach in the community. Um, So I do that as well as I run our worship arts team, which is kind of why uh, you're talking to me because another big passion of mine is being a visual artist and uh, someone who engages in the arts quite a bit. Um, that's a great fit for me. So we try to be creative with each series that we do. Um, we aren't a lectionary-based church, although uh, we do use portions of the lectionary. We do a series, and we try to creatively tie what we call ambient art or stage art at both of our sites. Uh, into that, which again is really interesting because these are two really different communities. One is a an older church that's just uh, beautiful, but very much kind of what you would imagine an older Methodist church to look like. And then my church that was built in 2008, it kind of has that more warehouse sort yeah, of feel. And so right. we've got more of a blank canvas there to create. You know, right now we're in a series called The Mechanics of God, and we have, like, bike parts hanging from our stage. Oh, that's cool. So how do you do that at the other site? <laughs> right, yeah. It's it's hard to photocopy from one canvas from the 50s or 60s and one canvas from a lot later. Yeah. Uh, if you had a general philosophy approach uh, to preaching, and I'll expand it for you, you can certainly speak to how you prepare for Sunday morning, but um, you do have the opportunity to speak and preach and teach in lots of different contexts, both inside the traditional walls of a Sunday morning worship service, uh, but also out in the community and out at other church events and things. So what's your philosophy and approach to, to preaching and teaching? So I think it's always helpful to kind of explain how I got to where I am. I um, love history, and I love um, the sort of uh, historical narrative of the Bible and the stories that we hear, but I also uh, really value um, knowing that people are coming to hear not just the nerdiness of how excited I am about this Greek word. There um, there came a time when I think my sermons, when I first got out of seminary, were sort of, um, I would pontificate about these theological ideas that I thought would be super interesting. Turns out they weren't. Um, and what I what I discovered is um, something that one of my uh, actually our art, visual arts director said to me. You know, I was working on a sermon. I said, "I'm having trouble with this sermon," and he said, "Oh, you haven't found your so what point." Mm. And so for me, every time I'm writing, I'm looking for a so what. So how can I tie it to who you are and what you are in the world? If I'm sharing a narrative from Scripture, that's just, I mean, it's so amazing to me how this this book, these collections of stories can be so inspiring and so captivating, but it needs us so what. There are so many narratives and stories that people can grab onto in the world, um, you know, with the birth of the Internet and all that sort of stuff. So we need to really, so what? Because from the very beginning, every one of those stories has had a so what. And so every one of my messages, as I 
as I speak, you know, um, I enjoyed, I got to speak at a youth conference and they really asked me to talk about how can your life matter? And so I looked at the story of Joseph, you know, um, mostly because Joseph was 17 and kind of a jerk when he started. And I thought right. these kids can relate to yeah. Joseph. But his story had positives and negatives and these dramatic turns. And sitting out there are kids who are in the middle of a positive turn. And there are kids that came here because their parents wanted to get rid of them for a weekend. Right. And exactly. so um, it was a really fun space to sit in and say, this isn't just a story. This is your story. This is our story. And all of our stories look like this. Now, the question is, how are you going to be a good character? And um, it really gained some traction, and I really enjoyed doing that because it, it for me, had an opportunity to, to have a so what. How can I take the story and make it um, both you appreciate the history and the story and the narrative that's happening, but how can I also have you sitting in the story and going, okay, so what? How does this make me ask a question beyond um, what's for lunch or what's next? Um, that's kind of my philosophy. I, I begin by looking at the historical stuff because I think um, God hid some really fun stuff in there for us. Um, I always laugh when there's like, I remember I was preaching recently um, on uh, Judas, because that's what you do, and there was right, this little right, yeah. piece that said, and th- yeah, and then he fell to the ground and his gut spilled everywhere, and it's in parentheses. And I'm like, does anyone else find that funny? Yeah. This is like a big deal. It's just in parentheses, like, and then he's done. And so why is that? And so it was fun to sort of play with that and have people notice things like that, because there's nothing more fun to me than people getting passionate about noticing. There's, that Bible is weird um, and beautiful and wonderful, and um, I don't think that's an accident. I think there's stuff that we're meant to dig and question and engage with. So that's sort of my philosophy in a quick. And and I think certainly the focus on story and narrative and storytelling has sort of come back around. I mean, it's it's been part of mm-hmm. human history for forever, but it, it seems like there's times where it comes back around with uh, energy and excitement, and uh, it certainly feels like we're in one of those times now, whether you're looking at someone like, you know, Donald Miller's conferences, which may be familiar to those in the church, but even those outside, even this medium podcasting has blown up since. Uh, serial uh, last fall, the fall of, of 2014. Yeah. It's just tell, telling stories has this resonance. Because we each have one. Right. We each have one. And I think that's, you know, I, um, I did a funeral this weekend. Um, just a wonderful woman that I, I didn't know her full story until I sat with her kids and, and heard that I didn't know that her, this man that I had known as her husband was her second husband. And she had raised four children by herself. And these four children, um, they are so um, just comfortable and, and care about their, their stepfather that I always assumed that was their father. But to hear, like, the strength of this woman raising these four kids who can't say enough amazing things about, there's just something meaty and inspiring about it because it makes me sit there going, I want to live that kind of a good story. And I think when we hear story and narrative and realize that, you know, the Bible's filled with just common people doing amazing things. You want to be that kind of epic person. And I think we've gotten a little bit numbed to the fact that when we uh, watch movies, we go, I can't, I'm not going to, Transformers, probably not going to meet a car that talks to me. So I kind of immediately go, that story is not really what I'm going to 
live into. I'm not capable of, that's not probably going to be my life. I think even like in cereal, what is it about cereal that had people so attached? This was in some ways a very ordinary story that took extraordinary turns. Right. You know, we're finding more and more people are depressed and hurt and um, celebrities are broken. And I think it's because for so long we sold the American story. Mm. This is, if you try hard enough, if you do well enough, you're going to have an extraordinary life. But what's wrong with the ordinary life? Right. And, and I think to make the ordinary life extraordinary is really what um, God does for us. And I think that's the, to make it something we're satisfied with because we know that this is the life God has given me. And um, that's the beauty, I think, of the narrative and um, why things like, uh, you know, serial and this American life is because it's everyday people like you and me. Um, and I can relate to that. And that has traction and excitement and the capability of changing me. Cause I'm not, I can't be Liam Nielsen. Right. Like, right. <laughs> most likely no one's going to kidnap my entire family, but I can, I can for sure relate to these, these just ordinary people who had a passion and followed it. Right. And I think that's, that's interesting too, how I think even movies are starting to become a little more, I just saw the movie The Intern, mm-hmm. and I really, really enjoyed it because it was a simple story, and it was a story about a, a, a woman who is in what some would consider a man's job. I don't know what that's like at all, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and is having a tough time balancing all of that. Yeah, and that's the simplicity of the story, and it's doing well. So I think that's yeah, that's an interesting the narrative is coming back. I think people, and now that we can control it too, you know. Twitter, we're sharing our story. Right. We want to be part of the story. Well, and and we, I think we do this sometimes too as pastors, and we always want to hold up Pentecost, which is incredible, and it is a miracle, and it is a day to be celebrated. It is a day to mark every year. Uh, but that was one day out of the church's history, uh, and the quantity of people right. that came uh, to faith on that one day because of something miraculous, that was, by the way, outside of the control of the human characters in the story, but it, it right. matters because they chose the next day when they didn't have tongues of fire on their head to pack their bag and to go have a yeah. conversation with somebody else. Exactly. Well, I, I had the opportunity uh, to meet you a couple years ago when you spoke at Lead UMC's Relevance X conference, and the 20 2016 edition of that conference is going to kick off in just a little bit over a week in Los Angeles. And so um, if you're in Southern California or can get there within a week or so and want to check it out, you can go to leadumc.com. But you gave an incredible talk uh, a couple years ago about owning your identity as a pastor. And if listeners want to check it out, you can see that talk on uh, revsarahheath.com. We'll put a link in the show notes. But you talked about this really common struggle that a lot of us have about not wanting to be misidentified as that kind of pastor. So you felt like you were having to sometimes separate artistic Sarah from pastor Sarah, or at least maybe hide pastor Sarah when you were in the artistic context and, um, and not to give away the whole uh, talk because you should definitely go check it out. Uh, But you really, you said (laughs) the only way that we're authentically ourselves and that we're most healthy and most effective is that it's when we're unified and honest uh, with who they are. And so how does uh, pastor Sarah and artistic Sarah interact these days? I think for me, um, I can't be anyone else. You know, I I had to, for a while, I realized I was trying to be a pastor. And by that, I mean, I'm, um, I'm, 
have a real joy for um, being doing acting, and um, I, I know what it looks like to be a pastor. Right. And I had a wonderful uh, mentor who, who really wanted to mentor me um, in, in the way that he is a pastor, and he's a phenomenal pastor, but he's a CEO pastor, and that's never going to be me. Mm. I could act like that for a really long time, but it would kill me. Yeah, And one of the most painful conversations for me, because I'm a people pleaser, was to look him in the eye and say, I know this is hard. I don't want to be you. Um, I, I don't want to um, run a mega church on my own. That's not anything um, I feel like God has called me to. Um, it's taken me a long time to step up into the pulpit because I always thought I would, I would eventually have to do that. And I just... That's not who God has made me to be right now. No, I'll never say no because God has done amusing things for me in that. And so how I remain faithful to, to who I think my message is, is I, I, um, Rob Bell one time said, you surrender the outcome. And I think I have the kind of community and friends who are outside of my denominational walls, as well as um, some friends that just are doing all kinds of different sort of things. And they remind me constantly that I cannot care about um, how something's going to turn out. I just have to be faithful to the work that I believe God has begun in me. And I think there's my scripture about that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and so um, being bold and like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a blog. And it's going to be about how it's kind of weird to be a single pastor, you know? And I'm going to share some things that um, I might not share on a Sunday morning. Um, right. Oh, I definitely wouldn't share yeah, on a Sunday yeah. morning, but I know that um, I'm experiencing them, and it's a giant me too, uh, particularly for women who are um, successful in their job but can't really figure out why why that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that it, they're successful in in a lot of people's eyes in their personal life. So things like that that I just keep and say, God, I I'm scared to do this, but I feel like you're you're calling me toward that. So I I do that, and even when I'm working on um, sermons, I try to keep my creative brain challenged. And, and I'll be honest, that's difficult, especially because we work in a, a team teaching environment and that myself and the other pastor, we're, we're preaching on the same thing. Luckily, I currently uh, work with a pretty creative pastor. And the problem that we have is sometimes our time gets away from us. So we're working on series and we go, wait a minute, we don't have any visual element or anything to sort of the so what uh, we need to we need to be creative here, and so we're we're scrambling, and that's never a place that we want to come from. I think we we have to stay ahead of it enough um, and engage in it enough daily. This creative, um, even if you're sitting down and writing for 15 minutes before you begin writing your sermon for the day, whatever it is, I think you have to keep this. Um, you know, the idea of an instrument, you have to keep it going. You have to practice, um, and so for me, I I make the commitment. Uh, to friends of mine that I will write a blog every week. Mm. It keeps me honest to the craft of writing, not just writing sermons. Sermons are great, but I, I want to be challenged, and I want to even be challenged in writing my sermons so that it doesn't become saying the same thing, because most pastors will tell you, you, you realize at some point that you really only have one sermon that you do differently, <laughs> right. right? Because right. there's this one message that you want to get out to the world, and I think for me, one of the biggest messages is even the message that I gave at Relevance, um, which is who you are is so important, um, and not in a way that 
um, you know, it's all about me, but, but God, there's something about you that is unique. And, and I want that to be hope for people. I want them to encounter Jesus in a way where Jesus is, a, is excited about who they are. Um, and I think people get so browbeaten down and um, struggle with so many things. And a lot of times it comes back to, am I significant? Do I matter? Mm. And so I think that that's sort of why I'm um, intentional about writing a blog. Why I'm intentional about going and speaking at other events is because it keeps me on my toes and, and trying to be creative and engage in my craft. You know, when I paint a lot, um, when I'm not in the practice of painting, I noticed for a season I couldn't stop painting trees. Mm. I would just constantly train. And I will admit to being a bit of a hipster, so I went through a season and put a bird on it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. put a bird on but it, But I went right. through a tree season. I know, and now I'm in an arrow season, so I'm just really urban outfitter's dream. But um, I, <laughs> I realized that I was painting this tree again and again, and I talked to my art teacher, and I, I said, I just can't get this tree. And she said, well, that's the point of being an artist. Mm. You see, once you think you do it perfect, you stop creating. Yeah. It will haunt you. That's why we keep creating. And so every week I keep writing a sermon because there's just something more that I want to have. Or, or what if what if I could do it this way? And, and the challenge of even writing a blog, you know, there's a magic 800 words. You don't want to go above it. And so it's this constant challenge, and I don't think I'll ever reach it. And that's the beauty of being an artist, both as a speaker and an artist uh, visually and an artist in writing, is that I keep practicing um, because you never achieve this perfect thing. And I I think that is how I stay creative in all of those fields is sort of the realization that, okay, I'll keep going. And I like what you said about I write my blog uh, and I'm accountable to my friends. Uh, we we talked before we hit record about how you don't look at any of the like the view stats, and so for you, oh. <laughs> there are people that come to your blog, and I'm sure there are people that read it that you don't know. Um, but you know, when when you're trying to write for my audience, and that's in air quotes that the listeners can't see, you know, when you try to write for my audience. You know, it, it, it can push you one of two directions. Either you can blow your own head up so big that I have this audience that I must be serving, uh, or it can, because it's so indefinite, you don't feel the actual accountability to write because there's no individual faces. But I like what you said about you, you do your art for yourself and for God and for your friends, for very tangible people that you can see and can interact with. And I think that's probably an important maybe aspect for you and what you're doing. I mean, it keeps me honest. Right. Um, One of the weirdest experiences I had was I wrote a blog where I briefly mentioned someone that I hadn't talked to since high school (laughs) and they contacted me. Awesome. And I thought, man, I better be truthful because, you know, when you're preaching, sometimes you like tell a story and you're like, I don't know that that's exactly how it went. Yeah. And especially me, I'm across the country from where I grew up. Right. 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 But No, I'm not. Not because of the internet. <laughs> yeah. So you have to stay like honest and truthful about these things. And then I have friends who are who've been really successful in that field in the blogging world. And so um, I kind of contacted them, and I was talking to them. And one of them got on Google Analytics and um, spoke to me about you know that stuff and said, you know, Sarah, I see that you're kind of posting like once or twice a month. And I said, why well, don't I really like post when the news strikes me? And he said. Yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you have to invite the muse. You have to invite the muse. You have to prepare for the muse. 
And so I have to do the work every week. And even, I don't even know if those two friends that I have this conversation with read my blog weekly, but they know whether or not I post it. Right. Well, you sort of spoke to the blessings of being an artist and a pastor and and probably one of the inherent challenges is that desire to wait for the muse when you have all of these opportunities, you don't always feel inspired. Sometimes the artist's nature is to wait for that inspiration. Are there is that an inherent challenge for you? Or are there any others to being an artist that that you find yourself struggling with on a regular basis? I think um, one that I kind of alluded to a little bit is the idea of I want it to be perfect. Yeah, and when you're preaching every week, it's not going to be perfect. And that that's, you're going to do your best. But there are going to be weeks when you go, what was that? <laughs> right. And you're like, you just want to say, I am so sorry. And it's always interesting because someone will come up to you crying and be like, that was so important. And yeah. you're like, oh, thank you, God, because you definitely did that one, not me. Um, yeah. And so I think you have to let go of the uh, perfectionism that a lot of artists have, you know, um, there is this false narrative that artists are lazy and some might be for sure. You know, you always meet the writer who isn't writing. Right. Um, but right. I think you, it, a lot of it has to do with perfectionism. And so you have to let go of that, which is a challenge and can be hard. I think a lot of times too, as a, a more artistic person, you know, I, I, as a child, uh, danced and I loved to dance and I, um, my dance teacher, I drove her crazy because in, uh, recital time, I was on, I was on point, you know, but in rehearsal, I was always kind of goofing around because I loved entertaining my class. (laughs) And the, the thing is, is that I had to learn how to be more consistent. And so Mm. I think, uh, what you learn is that you really enjoy the affirmation of people telling you you're doing a great job. And a lot of artists get really sensitive to that. But again, I, I have to remind myself to constantly go back to surrendering the outcome and going, okay, um, whatever, however this falls on people's ears, it's going to fall on their ears. And I have to just let that go. Because again, part of my pastor personality is I want everyone to feel good about everything I do. And that's just impossible. Right, right? exactly. Um, and so I think that's for sure an inherent challenge. Um, sometimes it's just not going to be incredibly inspired. And that, that's okay, too. Um, so just being faithful to the process of, no, I still have to get up in the pulpit, even if I, this doesn't have the greatest, you know, moment that they walk away and tweet about. Well, and and there is so much pressure now, um, to have those (laughs) bite-sized pieces, whether it's when you're preaching or when you're blogging, you talked about, you cap yourself off, uh, for your blog. Have you ever had one of those days where it's like (laughs) you start writing and you look up and it's three or four hours later and you're like, oh man, I, I deleted more than I kept. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, fun times, fun times. I'm sure there are people out there nodding with their earbuds in and, uh, you know, just know that we know how you're feeling. I think we've all been there. And even with a sermon, you know, you'll get through the sermon and go, what? <laughs> I get it. Start over. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the other part is the temptation of comparison. Mm, mm-hmm. There's a great book called Steal Like an Artist. Yeah. And I think that we have to recognize, yeah, I do preach a lot like so-and-so because they really inspire me. I don't steal their lines necessarily, but I get what they're doing. Um, and then you have to remember in the same way, there are people who are watching and hearing what you're doing going, huh. You know, I had a great experience. I was preaching at a conference in Texas, and this girl came up to me, and it, it was a, she was a young adult. She had been in the church her whole life, 
And she came up to me and she said, I don't like female pastors. And then she stopped herself and said, well, I just have never been inspired by a female speaker. Mm. And she said, for the first time in my life, I'm looking at you going, I could do that. Oh, that's I can relate to that. And she said, my brother, he hates pastors. He sat in the front of his chair listening to everything you said. Mm. And I thought, huh, if no one else in this, you know, 600 or whatever group of folks, I can't count people either, yeah, which makes right, it because right. yeah. I never know how many people there are. Um, I, if that one person got that they can, they can do this, if the Holy Spirit nudged them enough to say, and, you know, and they saw something in me that's in them, success. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And so I think that's why you keep going and you have to authentically be you because there is someone who desperately needs you to be you so they can be them. Yeah, absolutely. Because I didn't have a lot of role models who looked or talked like me. I mean, I had a couple, but in general, there weren't a lot of uh, nose ring pastor ladies. Right. You know, there's a couple of us now. And I mean, even walking in with my ordination class and everyone's wearing suits and I'm like, I, I don't even know how to, like that doesn't even <laughs> compute to me. Right. Like I don't have a power suit. Right. <laughs> so I had to like, so I got a white one because that seemed right. I don't know. Like I just didn't know how to play this part. And then it was a while before I went, but I don't have to play this part. And, you know, I got my nose pierced when I was, I'd already knew I was going to seminary and I was in Europe. And I remember I called my mom because I'm super close to my parents. And um, I called my mom and I said, it was the night before I was going to go get my nose pierced. And I had never shared with her that I was thinking about getting my nose pierced. And I called her and I said, Mom, I think I'm going to pierce my nose. And she said, you've already done it. I don't know why she just assumed I had. I said, (laughs) no, I haven't already done it. I I wanted your opinion. And she said, but Sarah, you know, you're going to seminary in a couple months. Like, you got to really think about how churches are going to look at you. And it was in that moment Mm. that I started going something changed in me and I said, mom, I don't want to work at any church that couldn't have me because I have a nose ring. Yeah. Mom, that's not going to be comfortable for them. Just like it's not going to be comfortable for me. And I might not be the best option for them. And so I think it's most important for us to just fully be ourselves because it's going to gain traction with the right people. And if that doesn't work for other people, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. I'm not out to change your mind about what a pastor is or isn't. I'm here to just be um, what God wants me to be, this messenger, how God wants me to be. And it's going to work for some people that may not have ever thought church was a good idea before. Mm. When, when I talk with younger clergy and I ask them about what inspires you, not necessarily to be a pastor, um, but what inspires you as far as being a preacher and a communicator, um, more and more folks, they're not naming other pastors. They, they, have, they have pastors and preachers that poured into them or made a big difference, and, uh, but they're, they're pointing to stand-up comedians or other types of communicators, people that were able to elicit uh, response and emotion and openness in settings where you know that's not typical, and yet God was able to shape and direct you know, that into the church. Um, Mm-hmm. Are, are you finding that in, in, in your circle of acquaintances as well? Oh, for sure. And I think there is something captivating by people who are able to be 100% themselves. It's really unnerving. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about what <laughs> what is inspiring most people right now. TED Talks. 
Yeah. Where people come on the stage and they're asked, which TED Talk rocks people the most? Brene Brown. Yeah. Where exactly. she gets out there and goes, all of us really suck at vulnerability, but guess what? It's important. Yeah. There's a giant me too that's happening in culture and community where people are just like, oh, finally we can say it. Well, and, you, and what adds another level of, of, what makes that story incredible is I recently heard her interviewed on the Tim Ferriss podcast about that first Ted talk. And she, for some reason had no idea it was being videotaped. Like she was just under the assumption that it was her and 500 people from her college that already knew her and knew her, you know, work and were familiar with her. And so she sort of went on a whim. She's like, Hey, it's not going to leave this room. It's all people that know me. So I'm just going to go for it. Uh, and it ends up being like the third highest viewed Ted talk of all time. And that's, but that's, again, that's just another example of turning the outcome, being honest about who you are and what you're about. Yeah. And that works in a way that maybe makes sense to people who, um, I mean, it doesn't just work because it works for so many people, but it's freed so many people. And I think that's like the message and the overall story of the Gospels is this absolute freeing experience. Um, it's the keys from the tree being called down. Mm. You know, it's all yeah. of us need that realization that who we are is important and valued. And um, when we see that in the world in any way, I mean, I, I think there is not this sacred and secular separation is just not a reality. That is really the heart of where you come from as an artist. My wife is actually the other end of the spectrum. She is a scientist and she is a math person. Uh, and, and one of your acquaintances is a guy now affectionately known as Science Mike. Um, she gets really frustrated when all of the prayer stations are like finger painting or write a poem or whatever. And I said, well, what do you want out of a prayer station? She said, I want you to give me a disorganized Excel spreadsheet and ask me to tell you what it means. And she said, that, that would be the most glorifying to God thing that I could do. That's the thing that I was put on this earth to do is to look at data and understand it and tell you what it means. And I think that resonates with, with your answer that, that, that she as a scientist and you as an artist can stand together and feel the same thing uh, for God and just express it in different ways. One of my best friends, um, we have the same name. Her name is Sarah. She, is, uh, she works at a large company, and she is that person. Mm. And she said, you know, the difference between you and me is if you were to go to a, a, a country that had great need, you would sit and be with the people. I would seem rude because the whole time I would be thinking about how can we fix this? Yeah. And she's like, I would want to be on the macro level where you're so good on the micro level. And I think God is creative in both. That pastor that I told you about that was the mentor of mine that I had to really, you know, share with that I loved him and his work and I so value what he does, but it's never going to be me. There was a moment where he said, I'm realizing that I'm creative in how I make systems. And I thought, yes, you may not pull out a paintbrush. You may not be able to write a poem, but the way you can organize and see a need and create organization for that, that is God-breathed gifting creativity. Mm. And I think that's, that's something else we as the church need to say. There is an art to what you are doing. And the church needs people who can go into a board meeting and go, this should not last three hours, friend. <laughs> right. Because here's how you do it. 
here's right. how you do it well. You know, one of our um, church council guys is this uh, great guy who he's young. He's around my, I'm going to say he's young. He's around my age. Um, he uh, runs one of the largest gaming companies, and he can look at a meeting and go, "Here's why it's not efficient," and it is such a gift because then we are more capable of being the church because people who don't have time to go to these really long, arduous meetings, he's gifting them by making the structure simpler. He's gifting uh, myself and the other pastor by, by letting us in on, here's how I interview people. You know, the, your wife is right. Her gifts are, are needed. And um, how are we not just reaching uh, the poet and the artist, but how are we reaching the person who their art form is an Excel because if you want to see me cry, ask me <laughs> to create an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a part of our job as pastors. And and if we could empower mm-hmm. those people to come in and help us or show us or, or delegate it, just, man, you're speaking my language. I am a weirdly right and left brain person. And so I'm incredibly organized, um, which is weird as an artist. Yeah. Right? So I'm constantly battling the incredibly organized part of me. I, I love an Excel spreadsheet. I may not be able to create it, but ooh, I find nothing sexier than a spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. And and one of the, the things that I think churches struggle with is we want the pastor to be poet, artist, CEO. Exactly. And yeah. sometimes that's one person, but I haven't seen it work well. I know pastors who are really great at running a church, but man, I wouldn't want them by my hospital bed. Well, and our, and our last question is, if there are any listeners out there that want to get in touch and, and say hi or uh, check out your work and what you're working on, what is the best way for them to do that? So probably the best way to do that is uh, com. creative, I know. Uh, in there is a contact me area, and that goes directly to my email, and um, I do follow up with that. And so I'm always eager to engage with people. I also have a, a Facebook, uh, Rev same thing. And, um, yeah, I love this conversation and I hope that I know we'll have it more and more off air, but, um, I hope that it's been uh, helpful. (laughs) Well, Sarah, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, again, happy new year. It's, uh, it's been, uh, just a great conversation. You've, uh, shared tons and tons of stuff that I'm sure is going to be really helpful to folks out there. And I, I really appreciate it. Good. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for even thinking of me. Thank you so much for joining me for episode seven of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. And as always, I love getting your feedback about the podcast. And so if there was something in today's episode or one of our previous episodes that spurred some thoughts or questions from you, I'd love to hear them. I want your voice to be a part of the conversation here on our podcast. So you can connect with me and send your feedback through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. And if you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. That way, new episodes are downloaded as soon as they go live. And of course, in addition to telling your friends about the program, the best thing to do is leave us a review in the iTunes store. It lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. If you enjoyed the interview with Sarah today as much as I did, you are in luck. Our mid-month episode, which will be out in just a couple of weeks, is a continuation of the conversation with Sarah, digging into the questions I ask all of our guests. So, of course, thank you to Reverend Sarah Heath for being our guest today. Thank you so much for listening. Happy New Year, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.